Greetings, friends of the Opocalypse. See, I'm getting that St. Patrick's Day thing in a little yeah. early. Very nice. Friends of the Opocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the Apocalypse, for episode 70, Dust. I am the Apocalypse Nerd, and he is Adam Bomb Glancy. Welcome to the Apocalypse. Oh, indeed. Welcome to the Apocalypse, my lads. Uh, are we going to have to talk like the Lucky Charms elf because it's the Opocalypse? Um, I think that'll last about three seconds, and then I'll get tired of it. So Yeah, I'm already tired of it. Okay. Do we have any decent Irish apocalypses? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. Yeah, there's at least one Irish zombie film uh, that I remember that was about zombies. It's like a mad cow take. Oh, that is... Oh, crap. I... Dead Holy meat? Is it dead meat? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is dead meat. I'll look it up while you get into the uh, the news of the day. Yeah, so uh, dead meat. Yes, I've, I think it's dead meat. I've seen it. It wasn't bad. So yeah, uh, I I love how at the end people are being evacuated from the zombie outbreak in cattle trucks. That was a nice touch at the end. Yeah, they did a they did a good job with that. So so this uh, this episode we're going to be talking about the third book in the Silo trilogy, uh, Dust. So. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we definitely got some uh, things we I didn't get to. We didn't talk about last time because I want to dedicate the time to our guest to talk about his uh, game. So uh, things things to talk about. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, a couple of shows ago I mentioned a uh, Kickstarter uh, that I had gotten. It's really it's really hard. I think I'm screaming because of these headphones, but. Um, Hold on, let me uh, see if I could. Now you're coming in. You're coming in nice and balanced. Oh, I think I'm screaming because I because I, I can't hear myself. But um, all right, so I kind of rigged it a little bit. So now I look really stupid, but uh, but I could but I could hear myself. But Maximum Apocalypse was the tile and card based game that I got off of Kickstarter. Uh, I've gotten to read the rules. And I've gotten to play it at least once. I've been reading the forms a lot. I like the game. I do feel it definitely has a lot of uh, potential. Okay? okay. So it's definitely... Um, let me fix this here. Uh, so I definitely think it has a lot of potential. Uh, I want to play it again. Uh, there's uh, an expansion uh, coming out for it. Uh, a Kickstarter starting like the 27th of March. I'll post it when it, when it, when it becomes live uh, for more more expansions, more, more apocalypses, more stuff. So... It's uh, it looked it's 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 a pretty good game. So I, I've in, I've enjoyed that. Uh, I, I said I played it only once, uh, but I'm gonna do some solo stuff. Uh, when you come down, we're definitely gonna uh, check that out. So uh, other things that are in, in the news, things that are not apocalyptic but are relevant. Uh, as we all heard that uh, Stephen Hawkins uh, died. It was it today or yesterday? It's, it's uh, today. It was today. It was today. So we lost Stephen Hawkins, seventy-six, and uh, he had a good run for the disease he had. Normally, that disease kills people way, way earlier. You know. Yeah, uh, I want to say that he. What did he outlive his uh, life expectancy by? What is it? Is it twenty-five, fifty? Was something big? Yeah. This is something that should have killed him two decades or more ago. And, yeah. Uh, which clearly means if he hadn't had it, he would have lived to be 190. <laughs> yeah. He would have uh, outlived this all. So, 
So we lost Stephen Hawkins, and today is Pi Day. So, you know, 314. So it's Pi Day. Celebrate by eating a pie or watching Pi, the excellent uh, indie film by Darren Aronofsky. Correct, Amundo. Yes. So that's, that's good. And again, non-pocalyptic related. Oh, also deaths uh, in the news is a couple of uh, weeks ago. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. A month ago, we lost the author, Victor Milan. Victor Milan was the true name of uh, an author who's authored many post-apocalyptic books. He did the Guardian series. By the name of under the name of Richard Austin. I don't know if uh, you're from you've, you've read the Guardians, right? Or no? No, actually, I have not. Um, the Guardians is a title I recognized uh, for no other reason than when they were first published. They had really interesting cover art. They would almost universally show the team and whatever ride they had for banging around the apocalypse with. You know what I mean? It'd have their like their usually like a lab, like a lav one fifty or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I remember. You know, that stood out to me, but I actually haven't read The Guardians. Um, it wound up having 16 books after the fourth. That's a lot. That's a lot. The first, I always thought it was just supposed to be like, uh, not a trilogy. What would you call a four series of books? It's not a trilogy, a uh, quadrangle. A quadrilogy. <laughs> it, yeah. um, I always thought it was initially four books. That because it completed the whole, it had a story arc from first to the fourth book, but then they continued on afterwards. So, yeah. uh, I liked the first four, I thought it was pretty good, and uh, he continued on to that. So, he did the Guardian series under the name of Richard Austin. So, folks, you should, uh, if you haven't read that, and well, apparently, a lot of people have because I've been reading a lot of reviews, like people said on like uh, iTunes and stuff, like, oh, I've discovered all these books that I that I uh never knew about, you know, thanks guys. So, you know, I like bringing this to people's attention. So he also did another uh, three books, a trilogy, I guess, Storm Rider series under the name of Robert Barron. He also did. I have not read those. They came out in 92, 93. So I've been trying to track them down, but I, I can't get a hold of them reasonable. So it's going to have to wait, you know. Um, he also, uh, cause you know, James Axer was the in-house name for, uh, yes, the mo mostly Lawrence James, but then over time, other authors started writing the books. He wrote uh, a handful of the Deathlands books as well. Any of them you're familiar with, uh, that you recognize the titles? No, they were all after I stopped reading. Uh, okay. like he started like. Uh, in the late 60s, uh, numbers in the late 60s. By in the 60s, I just couldn't read the series anymore. Um, and some people say that it started to get better later on, like in the 100s, you know, but but I, I but the 60s, I, I couldn't read anymore. It was just getting too much. And I think a lot of the authors just killed the series because, as we discussed before, people would write something cool. The next person would not follow up on anything. So you had that problem of having too many authors. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, he wrote, uh, yeah, like he wrote like a couple in the '60s. Um, let me see here. I think he wrote some in the '60s, '70s, and I think even in the low 100s uh, or something like that. So, so he, he wrote a few of those books. So we we lost him about a month ago. So another uh, post-apocalyptic author. Hi, oh, it's, uh, 
is isn't uh, isn't the Guardian set in a uh, post-apocalyptic California where uh, the state has separated on a seismic fault from the rest of the United States? From what I remembered, I mind you, remember I read this like in '85. It was no, there was nuclear war, and the president was somewhere not okay. in Washington, and their mission was to get him back to Washington. Okay, okay. Then well, I guess I, I was I thought that was the Guardians, but all right. Um, Oh, cool. right. and the oh, first. So that's what the first one was: is they go find the downed Air Force One or whatever, and then they, they. Uh, okay, that's cool. That's actually a really cool idea. Yeah, no, the the Guardians is it's not a bad series. So, also, well, speaking of Lawrence James, Lawrence James, one of the other, because he wrote a lot of other mini series of books, like he did uh, Earth Blood and Survival Two Thousand. Yes, I got that. Thank you, by the way. Oh, yeah, I did get those for you, didn't I? And um, before he started writing for Deathlands, which was in 86, so like I think like 84, 85, under the names of James Barton, he wrote a series of four books that only came out in England called Waste World. So there's waste. There's four of them. Waste World. Uh -huh. I have, I've gotten three of them. So Waste World 1, Aftermath. Waste World 2, Resurrection, Waste World 3, Angels, and I think the last one's called My Way. So I haven't, I've, I've been able to get all these for just a couple bucks a piece, so it's not too bad. I haven't read them. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the one where Frank Sinatra is in the post-apocalyptic yeah. world. That'll be great. And they're not, and they're not too thick. You know, they're not, not too bad. So uh, again, another James Lawrence books. And then uh, what else? Oh, just, again, just something I've been thinking about. Uh, me and Scott were talking about this before. Is uh, I'm sure some of our fans are familiar with deck building card uh, games, board games. Like there's a Clank, a very well known one. There's a, a Marvel, like a superhero one. There's Star Realms, Hero Realms. Uh, I like deck builders because there is a limited amount of skill involved with them. Because you know you got to build your decks as you're playing, and everybody has the same pool. So. I was fantasizing about, oh, how cool would it be for a good post-apocalyptic uh, deck builder? And there is one out there, but I've heard the reviews, read some reviews on it, and it's not that good. So I was like, oh, how cool would it be if we could have a deck building game uh, based on Gamma World? You know, like, how cool would that be, you know? so. <laughs> well, certainly when you explain some of the history of people trying to uh, get access to the Gamma World license back in the day... Uh, makes me think that you might be better off trying to get access to the Fallout license. You know, they've licensed some games, but it uh, doesn't sound like uh, Wizards or Hasbro is at all. It's like prying, uh, you know, <laughs> a baby away from its mother. Yeah, we, we've had friends uh, on the show who uh, t told us a story about James uh, uh, James Ward, how he tried to buy it back from them. They wouldn't have nothing to do with it. My friend tried to buy it from them back in the 90s. It wasn't nothing. He offered them for back then a decent amount of money for an IP that was essentially dead, you know? But even in the 90s, they had this thing like, oh, Hollywood's going to come through and offer us millions and millions and millions of dollars so they could license it to make a movie. So I, that hasn't happened in the last 30 years, you know? So, uh... Yes, well, I'm sure that the next D&D &D movie will be just as important and earth-shattering as the last D&D &D movie. Oh, yeah. Well, well, the first one with uh, 
who is it? Uh, one of the Wayne's brothers was in it. <laughs> yes, there are some Wayne's brothers in that one. Yeah. So wasn't it wasn't exactly Lord of the Rings. No, 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 it wasn't. So anyway, so that was just my fan. My that was I actually daydreamed about that today about making up a Gamma World uh, deck building game. Like how cool that would be because you know you basically player versus player multiplayer. You know, playing your cards, building your decks. You know. You know, fighting bosses like death machines, like like that. How cool that would be! But we could talk about that more in another Gamma World show. Yeah, you're you're just gonna have to fucking file the numbers off it. That's that's the ticket. Just file the IP elements off of it. Uh, it's not a death machine. It's a um, machine of death. <laughs> machine of death. Gaha! Yes, that sounds like that. Yes, yes, correct. Uh, so that that's all I have. I said I had to get that out. I, mean, I know, sorry, folks, we haven't started the review yet, but we didn't talk about a lot of this stuff last time, so we wanted to get that out there. But uh, I know Scott, you you had some. Uh, you were talking about some, there's some, some movies. Well, there's some there's some other movies that that have turned up. I I try and keep my eyes open for any uh, any um, apocalyptic films that are on streaming services like Hulu or um, uh, or Amazon or um, Netflix. And right now, um, I'm not sure which is on which service at the moment, but uh, uh, Jared and I have both seen the film uh, It Comes at Night, which is sort of a small uh, indie film styled uh, 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 virus apocalypse. It's pretty good. It's, it's actually pretty good, uh, in my opinion, but we'll get into it more later if we do a full show on it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's less about the apocalypse and more about, you know, you know, human you know human interaction and people and like like any good apocalyptic story like how a lot of people i see are like so annoyed with the walking dead that show sucks now blah 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 it's like a drama it's like yeah that's what the comic book was about it was about the people and the characters you know the zombie people don't really like the morons who watch it or don't realize that the zombies are just a set dressing it's really not about the zombies yeah and uh, well, speaking of zombies, there's the very effective Korean film, oh, uh, Train Train to Busan, classic. And uh, Train to Busan does some great zombie stuff. It does some great zombie stuff in a disarmed society, um, you know, in a disarmed situation. You know, uh, there's there's there at no point will will uh, will anybody be turning up with a rifle to fix the problem. You know, um, really well done. They did some excellent things with running zombies with fast zombies uh did some excellent things doing riffs on the ideas that zombies don't feel pain zombies don't care zombies will just soak up damage and not give a shit they do some really good things with that um they also do some great things with the fact that zombies don't have much in the way of object permanence um you know so they're they're the, the film does a pretty good job with that, does a great job with the idea of the problem unfolding. Uh, you are there. It's day one of the problem. It is, it is, you are right on the front lines when it goes down. And it's more than just, you know, snakes on a plane with zombies. It's, it's a really effective, uh, really effective horror movie. I would give, I give it a thumbs up. Um, oh, yeah, no, I, I really, you know who told me about that movie first, believe it or not? <laughs> My father-in-law, and, <laughs> and he doesn't like stuff like that. Uh-huh. Interesting. He likes, you know, classic, like, there's a criterion, you know, there's like a criterion channel now, um, yeah. 
with movies, old movies and stuff. He likes, you know, you know, he likes political stuff. He likes films with sub, you know, substance and stuff. He's like, oh, we saw this movie, Train to Busan. I'm like, really, Phil? You, he, like, <laughs> I was like, shit. It's like, if my father-in-law liked this movie, it's got to be good, you know? <laughs> the, uh, the, the other movie I want to mention that's also available streaming, and I think it's on Netflix, is uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. Yes. It's, I, another, it's another British zombie film. Have you seen it yet, Jared? I still have to see it, but it's on my, it's in my queue. Then the, the only thing I will say about it is that it's extremely ruthless. Uh, it's quite nasty. Um, it's a, uh, it's a fungus zombie apocalypse. Um, for those of you who played the game, what was it? The last of us? Is that the oh, one yes, on PlayStation yes. 4 that was the, the fungus apocalypse? It, it, you'll get some, you'll feel some connection to that. Definitely. So, so you're saying that Jane was close to being turned into a zombie? Beg your pardon? Jane? Well, that, yes, I almost lost my uh, wife to the, to the fungal apocalypse. Um, we went to this big nasty thing where she had a, a fungal infection in her nose and her sinuses that had to be taken out with surgery. I mean, I offered to get it out with a bullet, but uh, everyone was like, that's not necessary, Mr. Glancy. She's not a zombie. I'm like, but we're, but we're close, right? She could <laughs> be a zombie. No, Mr. Glancy, why don't you wait in the lobby? So. Regardless, um, she was saved from the fungal apocalypse. Otherwise, that fucking thing was going to grow out the top of her head. It literally was causing headaches, which means, which is bad if it's, if it's causing headaches. But um, the last thing I want to mention is that there's a Hulu, a made-for-Hulu uh, show coming up. Looks like it was made in England called Hard, H-E-R-D, Sun. And the basic premise is, that the government or whoever, I think it's the government, has figured out that, yeah, uh, we, we have figured out that, it, that, that global warming is actually happening, but it's being caused in a change in the sun. And it's just going to keep getting worse until we're all dead in five years. And there is nothing we can do about it. There's no changing your consumption. There's no... Uh, having fewer carbon emissions, there's no, there's nothing. We're just dead. So what, the, what, like, what? What is like the corona? The sun expanding or something? Or something like that. I'm not. It's something along those. It basically means it's an extinction level event. Everything except life in the, you know, Marianas Trench is <laughs> dead. You know, and unless you're one of those uh, chemosynthesis crabs and tube worms that hang out near the vents at the bottom of the ocean, you're gone. And um, the first episodes look like they're all about sort of like um, finding out that this is happening and then sort of making a decision about who the f what do you do? Do you tell everyone? And, and what good would it do to tell everyone? You know, I mean, you tell everyone and I'm thinking it's like there's going to be some folks who are going to be like, well, now is the time to settle all of our grudges, you know, since I won't get a chance Six years from now, it's going to be, you know, all on a total race to be able to say you were the last man standing. And, and, when, as, and when, when is when is this starting? Uh, let's take a look here. Uh, da, 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 um, looks like yeah. Looks like uh, it is now, I'm thinking I'm seeing that it's now available on Hulu right now. 
Okay. Um, but uh, it's interesting because if it's a five year, if it's a five year countdown to human extinction, if they put, if they get five seasons out of it, I'll be very impressed. If the last episode is just, you know, that's it for Earth, I will be very impressed with that. They well, can, also, they can pull that off. Also, there's the one coming out on Netflix, uh, mm -hmm. The Rain. Oh, tell us about The Rain. I don't know. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, you did. Uh, you don't. You didn't see a post though. No, it's. it's uh, it, I think it's like a. I want to say it's a Swedish. Like, oh, good. It's foreign. It's like a foreign film, but it's going to be on Netflix. It's uh, apparently there was some kind of. I, I didn't. I don't know much about it yet because I, I didn't look in a super detail yet. But it's like apparently it's an apocalypse that there's some disease or something in the rain that could kill you or turn you into some kind of monster. So everybody has to stay dry. You can't get wet because if you get wet. You know, it's because it's in the liquid on the okay, planet. Okay, it's in the water supply. So, yeah. Unless so if you, you boil, unless you boil your water, okay. Yeah, but if you get rained on, fall in some water, it could like you know turn you into some kind of monsters. So it, it looks like it could be interesting. The rain. I posted about it um, on the blog with a link to like at least the uh, oh yes you did the trailer the trailer. So we have the rain coming out. And then there's there's some movies coming out. There's we talked about that one the one with the. Um, there's no cure for like the, but they, they they cure zombies, but they really don't. Oh yeah, oh oh, it's uh yeah, it's the one where it's um uh cured. You're right, you're right. That's cured. the name of the film is Cured, um, where everyone who's been cured is now looked at sideways because last year they're trying to eat your face, and so no one trusts them anymore. You know. So so that's coming that's coming out, and then also next month in the theaters is. A quiet place. Yes, a quiet place, which appears to be some sort of like alien apocalypse, but it's an apocalypse, nonetheless. So it counts. Apocalypses are good. So, mm -hmm. all right. So let's uh, speak of apocalypses. Hey, let's talk about dust. Let's talk about our nano apocalypse. I guess. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> I yeah. If they didn't figure out the nano thing, that's their problem. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing with this. Um, uh, folks, we're gonna start reviewing. Spoiler alert! We're gonna try, as usual. We're not gonna try not to spoil too much, which is hard. Uh, like to review the book. I mean, we could talk. You know, we could wax poetic about oh his grammar style and this and that. But unless you talk about stuff that happens in the book, it's really hard to convey plot. to you plot and how how the book is. So just be warned, there's going to be some spoilers. We will try to keep it reined in so it won't be uh, uh, too bad. So now, so spoiler alert, folks, is that we're going to try to keep it to a minimum. Um, so Silo is, uh, Silo, Dust is the third book in the Silo series uh, by the, that's not, uh, by Hugh Howie. Mm-hmm. So it was a third. It was a third uh, book in the in the series. Now we have talked about um, wool and shift. Yes. Um, and this is the this is the culmination of that series. Yes. So first up, uh, I guess impressions. Uh, did you like it? Did you like it better than the others? Did you think I, it was worse I than the others? The thing is, is the very first. You know, I, I, it's it's difficult to to think about it without thinking of it in terms of the first book. In the first book, 
is an expansion of that short of a short story, which is that first chapter about the sheriff, the first sheriff. That's clearly a standalone short story. And this thing kept building from there. Um, for the most part, I didn't run into anything that felt like it was it was um, uh, crammed on in a strange way. Like you said, when you were looking at it, why are the levels so big? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, wait, now they've explained why each level is so tall, how there's how much space there is between levels. Suddenly that made sense. But so the, it, it holds together consistently like that. So it doesn't feel cobbled together like he was making it up and changing the rules of his apocalypse as he went along. No, because he, yeah, like you said, he explained a lot of these things that I questioned in the first book, in the second book, is like, oh, okay, that's why. Oh, okay, that's why. Um, they certainly, there is something hopeful uh, about, um, sort of hopeful, and but also kind of nasty in, in Wool. It's quite a nasty book. I mean, they're not gentle with any of the, any of the characters in it hmm. and uh silo or rather shift has a is uh incredibly grim um and sort of you know in a lot of ways kind of hopeless and desperate and nasty um uh and it's weird to be you know you're 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 getting a story from the perspective of somebody who is if he wasn't so completely medicated all the time, might be suicidal, you know. In fact, is almost nearly suicidal at multiple points in the story. But um, the this third book um, finds a way to again just abuse the reader by dashing your hopes over and over again. Um, oh yeah, they, they tease you so like, oh cool, this is. You know, this is gonna go. Oh no, it's not. You know, yeah. there were so many times where like they they build you up and then they just they just knock the chair out from under you. You know, yeah. so, so many times in this book, yeah. um, they, they did. They were not kidding about that. Um, there are people who show up who you know. Oh look, this is someone who appears to be have some integrity and some. Uh, 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 curiosity and some spark of humanity left in them. Don't get attached to that guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any anyone who's who and and then there are people who were scumbags in book two, who you realize there was something more going on than them just being a selfish scumbag, you know, um, and you didn't see that coming. Uh, that sort of flushed out and sort of came to fruition in in uh, in the third book, um, Dust. Um, but I guess I, I it's really tough to like um, uh, sort of talk about this apocalypse because so much of this apocalypse is not out of control. I mean, we think of I think of apocalypses and post-apocalyptic fiction is about a breakdown of the system, a breakdown of control. Um, this is a completely measured recipe for an apocalypse where every factor is or is attempted to be controlled for in well, a way that makes it worse. 
and that's part of the that's part of the problem because yes. there's a point where it does affect that itself affects some people because they measured and measured and tried to make things a certain like that affected start affecting some people like what have we done kind of thing so yeah. this, um, this this I, I don't know if I call it a is it a a managed it's a managed apocalypse I guess. Well, well, as as I said in the as you saw in the other two books, well, uh, this like uh, I'll get to that in a second. Is well, they they hint in the other books about why they did it, and it was going to happen eventually. Yeah, so how can you have this giant survival complex if nobody knew the apocalypse was coming? And if you knew the, how could you know the apocalypse is coming unless you were going to launch it? Yeah, they were they were being uh, preemptive. So, but that that aside. This book, uh, my impression, um, I, I did enjoy it along the lines with all of I'm still a near camp, I think. I think the first book really set this bar of this awesome apocalypse. Not to saying that the other books aren't as good, but I still think that the first one's still probably the best. Um, mm -hmm. and I probably like this uh, second best and the second one the third. Uh, well, that, that middle book is a real middle book. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. It, well, they needed to bridge that gap because part of what they did in the second book was explain why, as we talked about. This book is like, okay, now you know why, and here's what's here's what's going down. So, um, I think it was written just as well as any of the other books. I said a lot. You know, they introduced some new characters, a lot of new stuff going on. He they he continued to put new tensions into this book you thought okay well yeah they know about this or they've done this or they found the other silo or they've done no he, he keeps on bringing new things to create more tensions you know bringing back other characters introducing new characters into the book because um well i think where we left off in the second book uh we'll talk about that just i guess a little bit is you know and i think in the second book you know the main protagonist went to another silo and came back you know yeah so and the thing is, they've lived in such an isolated world that everybody thinks that it's all, like, not true. It's fantasy. Oh, you're a crazy person. And There's only one silo. How could there be another silo? Uh, a silo with the exact same floor layout, you know, um, in which were survivors of, yeah. a, of a failed silo. And um, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, I there's a small point. I mean... The second book is not only about how it happened or why it happened, but it also gives you a look to the idea that there is a control of the silo system. And you certainly learn that in the first book, and you actually get to look inside. What's it like inside the, the, the control silo? The one yeah, the silo one, manages, the, main, the main silo. The one that manages and maintains the other silos. And more importantly, destroys silos that looks like they're about to fail or go off the rails. You know, they oh, expect, they, yeah. They, they that, expected failure. That's why they built so many because they knew there was going to be failures. Yeah. And then they also knew that there could be, you know, if some people were on the brink of gaining knowledge or getting out or finding or discovering or causing a problem by contacting other silos, they, they would crush them, you yeah. know. They could so, destroy a silo and kill everyone in there. And what was fascinating was in the third book is that, you know, about this whole idea of this managed pockets. At some point, they start to realize some of the silos they thought they destroyed for rebellion might not be destroyed. 
that the those silos and you never go see those silos. You never get a look at the silos that went dark. But they're thinking that some of the silos may have just ripped out the controls, the controls and the surveillance gear, and just gone dark. And then you know, there's a society out there who are charting their own future, completely separate from the protagonist. I wasn't sure that anyone was going to survive. I, I did. I, I I did some reading. I I, I thought that what was going to happen is your only hope in the story was that one of those dark silos survived, and that you were going to lose every protagonist you taught you saw in in Dust. Well, I did some reading on I think his on Hugh um, on Howie's pages, mm-hmm. and people were asking questions because they were confused, and he answered some. And I'm not going to answer these questions. But he answers some questions about some of these dark silos, and you'd be surprised with some of the answers he gave. So, um, uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, I would be interesting to see further books about maybe some of the other silos. What, what else? Because nah, we can't. Uh, this, this, no, no. Uh, we really don't want to give anything away. I mean, one of the uh, best. One of the best. Give you know, sort of reveals. Uh, on this story is, you know, all the silos are supposed to be down there until the surface of the earth is okay to live on, right? But what do we learn about the apocalypse? And we learn that in the second novel. The apocalypse is called by nanite weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Weapons that you don't see, you don't do, their, their, their presence is hard to detect until they go to work killing you. And you could be walking around with them in your system and never know it until they until they kill you and um and they explain a lot about excuse me you know the world outside how everything's dark and gray and why things have you know and they explain how the nanites are there and they explain also i don't know if they explained it in the book but the one style that survived an apocalypse mm-hmm. i don't know if they i don't remember if they explained it in the book or it was him explaining his website like how uh, Solo and the kids in the other silo survived. Mm-hmm. You know, he explains that, oh, they survived because of, uh, 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 you know, because you'd be wondering, like, how the fuck did they survive all by themselves for all those years with nothing? You know what I mean? So, well, next, next to nothing. They did have the supplies in the overseers. But, but the oh. silo was open. Yeah. Oh, spoiler! But anyway, so they the, he explains why that happens. So, uh, yeah, definitely in this book, um, it's the culminate. You know, you, you don't. There's no going into the past uh, like this book was, but I think there's equal portions of silo one, the control silo, and and uh, the other silo, other two. You know, well, you're dealing with two silos at this point in the book. Yeah, I think it equally goes back and forth between the two and all the crap that's going on there and. You know, because there's like people in the main silo who are having, like I said, these moral conflicts of what's going on or not being able to deal with what's going on and explaining, uh, well, you know, what? he doesn't explain it in the, again, there's a, something that there was something that was that was happening to one of the main characters that he doesn't explain in the book. You could theorize it. But again, his website, you know, after you've read the book, read that and it explains, oh, that's why this happened, but not this happened. You know, you know, he left some, some gaps with the characters. Time, 
I, I don't mind when stuff happens that, you know, characters are never going to know because it's outside of their ability to know it. Um, that's but, fine. No, but, I, but, I find it, but I find it interesting to at least get an answer. Like, I was reading these things like, oh, I was wondering about this. Oh, I was wondering about this. So I don't mind. I didn't need the answers. I just happened to come across them, you know, and, and it was nice to do that. But, uh, yeah, the, the, this book is definitely, it's the culmination of everything that's been going on the la in the last two books, you know, because you're building up, like, here's what's going on to the people in the one silo and this how they change everything, you know, by not you know, cleaning, and then here's what's going on in Silo One, and what happens when somebody doesn't follow the plan that's in yeah. place, you know, and how those two worlds come together to create this conflict, and you get to find out more, but this whole book uh, is culminating on all of that, you know, like, because as we know, we talked about, you know, they discover another Silo, and equipment to try to contact the other Silo, like, like, like the main protagonist is trying to prove to her whole silo that they exist, nobody believes her, you know. So that's interesting to see how all that develops and then how they try to stop. And like there's a lot of like like a chess game going on a lot in this book. Like with the characters in the survival silos, the main silo, it's like a chess game, you know, they're trying to like do certain things but hide their moves and try to think a couple moves ahead, you know. Yeah, because again, silo one is essentially has a big red death button with the number of the silo they want to erase on it. And if they feel like it's getting out of hand, they can pull the plug. And the thing is, that's worth noting about this, is that there is a reason why they want the silos to progress in isolation from each other for this period of time. And the period of time I guess I'm going to give away something here, but the period of time that they keeping them in isolation and studying each silo isn't really related to the, the length of the apocalypse. Mm. They have another agenda. It is not merely about when it's safe to go outside. They are playing a different game. And that is one of the, the reveal of what that game is uh, is one of the big reveals of the second novel and sort of even a, and a culmination of this novel. And also, like you said, while they're waiting so long, there is there is an expiration there there is an expiration date. Yes, on all these silos. You know, there, there's there's things that are discovered by the characters. Not for they, they didn't hear anything from Silo One, but just from their own research, going, huh. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like, um, there's only. Well, you figure, okay, just to speak in vagaries, if you're in a silo and, you know, you've built it to be able to manufacture, you know, food, recycle water, maybe get some fuel and oil, like wherever, depending on where you built it, but there's going to be certain things that you're not going to be able to create or use. And you can only stockpile so much stuff. Yeah. So. There is an expiration date on how long you could be in that place. Yes. Yes. There's only so much recycling. There's only so much supplies. There's only so much new resources that can be extracted before these things will fail or, or run out. 
and it's all been predetermined. It's not like, well, we'll stuff it to the gills until uh, you know things run out. It's it was built with a purpose of it's going to last X amount of years. Well, what about the population? Well, they've accounted for that. They've accounted for everything. This is a very controlled environment. Yeah, it, it is a, a, a controlled apocalypse and a controlled post-apocalypse. Well, I mean um, the environment, the environments that the silos are in now after the apocalypse. Well, the, the apocalypse is definitely controlled, but the silos are definitely controlled environments. Like everything has been planned to a T. Oh. Right down to the way that they can, they, they've even planned for uprisings, yep. you know, and the cycle of uprisings over the, you know, the time, uh, over the, the, the life of the silo. It's, it's, uh, it's not like they were like, we have to stop uprisings from happening. It's more like um, when they're no, going to happen, we're going to have uprisings. And how do we move through the cycle of uprising and move on to the new state of the affairs, the new normal? No. Well, and part of it too is they want to get, they need to get away from the apocalypse because what was it wasn't in this book. I think it was in the second book uh, with, was it with Jimmy? Uh, they talk about there's some old lady there that like had oh, yeah, yeah. the teacher, the teacher who had memories of how things were before because she heard it from somebody who was old as she was when she was a little kid. So they're, you know, it's purposeful to try to get far away in time from the event to make it to where people don't know anything else. And yeah. how everything's a fantasy. Cause it's getting to that point in the novels. Cause people are like, Oh, all these things in children's book, it's just fantasy, you know, like green grass, blue skies, animals, clouds, yeah. clouds you know, so, but there's a bit of, there's a lot of big, and, and also to completely extinguish the previous culture. That is yeah. to say, the culture of the United States of America in the 21st century is they have to be so far away from that that they've exterminated that culture and created the culture of the silos to replace it, you know, which in some ways is a hard caste system, if you ask me. Yeah, well, you have the people from the upper level, the lowers, the mids. Yep, and the yeah. jobs that are very much the matter of family. Uh, well, farmers yeah, end up being farmers, and and porters well, end up being porters. Porters, IT engineers. You know, uh, it's all you know. It's a, definitely a caste system. So, so this book, you know, again, it's a culmination of, like I said, times running out too for our protagonists. You know in the silo and in the master silo because, you know, some time limits have been put on to them, you know, uh, in the story. So they have to get certain things done in a certain period of time. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to reveal too much about the story. You know, it's like, well, you know, they're trying to connect the silos and, and so forth. But then there's there's a lot of things they discover throughout the book, you know, when it's they get to... It's a stupendously plot-driven story even though there's a lot of character involved and some of the plot is driven by the character's faults their imagined fears things that they're upset about that aren't real which i was just brutal yeah. having characters react to what they think the problem is and they're dead wrong and they're oh, completely making, yeah. it, making it worse oh even um, our even our protagonist has preconceived notions of what things are completely wrong and and if and if that person would have been on board, and if our protagonist would have been a little bit more on board, a little more trusting, things could have turned out 
maybe a little bit better. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. But yeah, it's, it's a very plot driven story. It's I don't so, think we're I don't think we're rail I don't think we're rail railroaded. I'm just saying revealing too much about the plot is difficult because the plot is what really for me uh, makes these novels. The reveals of what's going on, um, uh, what the depth of the mystery is. Um, revealing too much about that just uh, you know. Oh, we we we, we we can't we can't spoil that because. Again, key points of the plot are key things in the story, which, like, there's a lot of aha! There's a lot of aha moments in these books. Especially this one. You know, you get a, you get a lot of aha moments, because there's uh, a lot of good stuff going there. And one thing that, that, that got worked into this book that a lot of people, I saw people, some people bitching about, because they said it was kind of superfluous, was religion got brought into this. Mm-hmm. A lot more than any other novel. Uh, you might be right. I think you're right. There was, uh, the, 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 yes. I don't really remember religion in the silos. Until they, they talked about it, the Sunday services, but it really came out in this book, especially when things started going uh, a little pear shaped <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden the, you know, the, the religious people were religious nutbags, you know, like totally like crazy people. Uh, or maybe just that sect of them, but all of a sudden religion became pretty, you know, not predominant, but it it's it it was stand out and noticeable, whereas you didn't really notice it before. Yeah, yeah, and there was some creepy stuff about them too, which yeah, <laughs> I did like the line. Was it uh, you guys seem pretty quick about weddings? How are you on funerals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the author took a took an opportunity to slag religion uh, while he was while he was about his business. I don't know what it, it was something in particular had come up that that necessitated bringing uh, religion to the forefront of the story or not. But they don't exactly cover themselves in glory uh, during no. their appearance. No, and, and some of the thing I read, some of the th- he was talking about. So somebody brought that up. He was talking, I guess, about a lot of it was dealing with you know salvation, damnation. You know, it, you know, he covered. You know, he that bringing that in. You know, covered that. It's like, well, you could sit here and die thinking about you'll have. You know, you know, it was definitely about you know that you know this whole salvation, damnation. What do you do? Do you sit there and do nothing? Do you try to do something else? You know, you know, so it brought that kind of subject into it. So it was. Uh, it, it seemed like it seemed a little. I felt it didn't seem it didn't quite fit in. Like it was, it felt like to me like it was kind of forced in, you know. But yeah, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't. I, if you would have left that part of it out, I don't. I don't think we would have missed it at all. To be honest with you. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, I. I really don't want to talk too much more about the story of the plot because I, I think. Like it now that we've been talking about it, it's all swimming in my head now, all coming back to me. And there's just so much going on, and there's so much discovery. We're still and, gonna give it the thumbs up. It's uh, it's the, the writing is uh, is more complex than a lot of uh, post-apocalypse stuff. It's almost the uh, the it's on the edge of getting into uh, Cormac McCarthy country with like like the road. Um, you know, well, uh, it, is, it is it's almost anti-gun porn. There's guns. There's a lot. There's some shootouts, no problem, 
But nobody gives a shit about the manufacturer or its rate of fire or, you know, none of that. It's it's all character and plot driven. Um, it's not like these? These not a, yeah, yeah, I was about to say. There's no gun porn. There is... Because um, they're, they're not important to the story, really. Yeah. Uh, but um, And some of the technology is a little hand-wavy, like the nanite technology that's now used in the 21st century before nanites are weaponized to become the problem that this system was designed as the solution for. They're used for everything. Um, they're used for... Um, uh, medical technology to an extent that's super creepy, and um, and, well, abs and 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 that comes back in the third novel too. Oh yeah, well the nanotechnology makes it po what they've done possible. If it wasn't well, besides being instrumental in the apocalypse that's in this story, it also makes it to where they can do it. Like you know what I mean? It's kind of like. Well, we have the we have the technology to do this, but then we also need this oh, technology yeah. to lift. They they also they need the technology to bring on the apocalypse, but they also need that technology to survive the apocalypse. Yeah, you can't have shift uh, without you can't have shifts without the nanites. Nope. Which I think was one of my absolute favorite solutions to the whole. I'm going to say it, the whole cryogenics problem. They finally came up with a good answer that I was willing to believe to suspend my disbelief about cryogenics. Yeah, because as we all know, cryogenics doesn't work. Yeah, so. turns you into a pile of mush as every one of your cells is ruptured by ice crystals. Um, and um, no, and, and so the, the, nanite, the nanite technology really made that... It solved um, the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. It, it it allowed me to suspend my disbelief really easily for that. Yeah, and it, and it's and the suspension of disbelief was not a huge leap of faith, you know. So which is good. It's not like oh yeah, right, transporter beams and you know warp drive. This is kind of like well, you know what? In fifty hundred years, I I could kind of see this. You know, it's yeah. it's believe it's believable. Yeah, I think. The other thing that uh, is really worth a, uh, worthwhile in this story is the idea that starts up in Shift that um, you are who they tell you you are. Um, this thing shows up in the stories where uh, characters, uh, as far as Silo 1 goes, are their job. You know, yeah. um, that was super creepy the way that people would step into the duties of the person who had that job before them and be molded to this character of the duty station. You know what I mean? Um, by, by, uh, it, it, I don't want to give anything away. It's uh, too much away, but it was, it was super creepy the way they made that work. It was a excellent use of that kind of, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a, almost a riff on uh, Aldous Huxley's Soma from his Brave New World stories, the drug that, you know, Keeps everybody in society in line. Now, now you're referring to Silo One or yeah, the... Silo One, Silo One. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, yeah, though they. Well, they, you'd come on for your shift, and you'd do your shift, and you know, you are essentially as you know, as you are uncryogenicized, you are essentially who they tell you you are. You are presented with a file and a name card and everything else. And people fall. People fall into line because well, yeah. they. 
they use uh, you know chemicals, you know, to keep people thinking what they should be thinking. And if you don't think what you should be thinking, you're a problem, and you're going to go to the deep freeze. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the, the the people who come out of uh, freeze to go work their shift work in silo one for however you know whatever it is, the idea that um, there's a really interesting way that their people's um, uh, wills and personalities are assumed are assumed to the mission. Yeah, and as bad as it is living through that slow time machine, going forward in a silo. But they but never, but also they don't want them to think past. The mission that they're supposed to do, like I'm supposed to right be in front of you, right I'm, in front of you. I'm supposed to be a tech. I need I fix this for six months. That's all I need to know. And they don't know more than that because if people knew more than they were supposed to know, that's a problem yeah. in these books. Yeah, and they and actually it be, and, it be, and, it be, and it and it became a problem. <laughs> they do a great job demonstrating the idea. At some point, you realize that the whole diabolical fucked up and ultimately at its core insane plan could be limited to like five people max who really knew the details maybe at most i don't even think it was that many yeah um, there, there was at least two two minimum yeah oh and the daughter three three so um this idea that everyone thinks they're on, you know, this brave new world, we're gonna forge our way to a new future. You know what it remind? You know what shift reminds me of in a lot of ways with the people going on and off shifts, so that they will be able to cryo their way into the future, where you're just unfrozen. You work on the silo, you go back down, you know, and then that Pandora, reminds me. It, it no, it reminds me of uh, a Mudget, Herman Mudget, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes. The guy with the murder house in Chicago at the turn of the 19th century, the guy who had the, the, the hotel where the rooms would have gas outlets that you could control from the basement to gas the people in the room and then had, uh, you know, trap doors. You could throw bodies into the basement and there was a furnace in the basement for burning bodies. And um, he had this whole murder hotel with secret passages where you could get into the women's rooms at night and kill them or just gas them or whatever. And, and the question was, you know, they'd lock their door, right? And so he'd gas the room and then he'd come in through a secret entrance to load the body and, uh, you know, drop it down into the, into the, down a chute into the basement. He built all this by constantly hiring and firing contractors. So nobody knew what the job was. You know, they'd, They'd work some of it uh, for a couple of days or weeks, and then he'd fire everybody and hire somebody else. And he was big on hiring like uh, immigrants, you know, who didn't speak the best English, and then you know, kick them out when after a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. So nobody got the big picture. Nobody understood that what they were building was a house or a building designed to kill people and dispose of their bodies. Right? He's a very infamous serial killer um there's a novel called the devil in the white city which is about him doing his murders at the time the chicago world's fair was happening um, i i i could i could see that parallel because you know people aren't building it but people are working in it to maintain it and keep it going without knowing what they're doing really they don't know the big picture at nobody all nobody can see it because they're being cycled because they're being brought in and brought out so quickly nobody's seeing the picture so that's what that that 
mechanic reminded me a lot of H.H. H. Holmes's Murder Castle in Chicago. And a lot of and a lot of suppression <laughs> yeah. helps uh, too. So, so but overall, um, if you've got if you've gotten through the first two books, you definitely want to read the last the last book because it, I think it's just as good as the other books. I, I you know, um, as long as you don't mind the carpet getting jerked out from under at least three or four times, because oh boy, it, it's not it's not a smooth resolution. I, I also, at the very ending of the book, I, I feel like I wanted a little more. Like, you know, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know, well, what are they going to, like, I almost feel like I need another book because it's like, well, what happens to the characters? And why didn't they try to do A, B, and C? They have the ability to do A, B, and C. Why didn't they do that? You know? So I, I felt a little empty at the end, you know? Uh, like I wanted, I not empty, but I was left wanting more, well, more, yeah. more, th more things to do, more, more answers. That's that's the best sign of a successful story. You know, yes. If 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 you get to the end of it after three big, thick, nasty books, and your thought is, well, well, yeah, well, okay, that's fine, but where, what else have you done for me lately? Where's my, yeah. you know? Uh, then I'd say he, um, I'd say he hit, he hit the target. He did his job. It's they're they're good books, and if you. Well, hopefully you aren't listening to this and not read the other books or listen to the other two shows, uh, but people might be. Get them and read them. Um, like I said, it's a more contemporary, uh, more contemporary as in it was written in, what, when did he put the first book, 2011, 12? I think so. I think something so. like that. And I say it's contemporary, even though it was five, six years ago, but it's contemporary for us because we usually talk about books that are like 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. So, <laughs> you know, or stuff we read when we were like teenagers. So, for for us to hit something that's within this century, within the last uh, last decade, that's contemporary. That's a good job for us, and um, it, it's it's good. It's worth it. It's totally uh, it's worth purchasing, checking out the library, whatever the case may be. You know, yeah, absolutely, uh, definitely read them. Um, I, I think it was a good conclusion to the stories, and I hope one day he gives us a little more. That's that's what I hope for. Yeah, and. Um... Yeah, absolutely spectacular stuff. I was very happy with it. Yeah, I was uh, like, I was, I, I, I didn't read it, read it, but I, I listened to it every chance I got. And every time I'm like listening, like I was like, I made sure I was listening to it when I wasn't multitasking because I really was absorbed in the book, you know, especially because where I live now, like a lot of times I got to drive to do stuff. I, I might have a 20 minute drive to go do something. I put it on while I'm driving. So I have no other distractions, but I'm just driving from A to B. So all I'm doing is just, I'm not like on the computer. I'm not doing anything. I'm not cook. I'm just I'm just driving and listening, you know. So I was, uh, again, I was always I was always riveted when I was listening to the story. As I always wanted, like, what's going to happen next? Like, oh shit, that happened. What are they What are they going to do now? You know? Yeah, yeah. It uh, it definitely held my attention all the way down the line, and I I just don't. There were some slow spots in uh, in shift. Um, yeah, there were some dreamlike uh, spots in it, but I think. A lot of that was just trying to get you into the mindset of what it's like in Silo One, but um, this one didn't have this. This one barreled forward pretty fast, you know, uh, and uh, relentless until it brought to brought it to a final conclusion. So, um, um, out of five mushroom clouds, what would you give it? Um, I'm gonna give it uh, overall. I give the series uh, at least four. a four. 
you know, only because it's it's the the problem with trilogies is middle books are always a problem in trilogies. Um, well, they got they got they got to bridge that gap between the first and the last novel, obviously. But, um, yeah, uh, but um, uh, all in all, uh, it is one of the best things uh, I've read in a while. Um, it is perhaps not quite the level of literature of the road. Uh, it is not as pulpy as. Um, uh, the Postman or um, uh, Eternity Road, but it's it's really good. It's really oh no, and, and we're not saying those things make good post-apocalyptic books. Like you have to be like them. So I like that this was a little bit different. I, I like the story. I would give it overall. I, I would overall give it at least. I would probably you know it's not perfect book by any means. I wouldn't give it a five, but I'd give it at least. I would give it at least four and a half mushroom clouds um, out of five. Okay. Uh, you know, overall, and uh, you know, uh, again, highly recommended. Really, really, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's um, worth checking out. Again, maybe one day we'll get uh, maybe a new trilogy out of it. You know, because you know he calls it the Silo series. You know, it's a trilogy, so hopefully, maybe he'll start another like you know the outside trilogy, whatever, whatever he calls it. You know, I don't know. There, there are other silos, and one of the factors that is involved in the project this managed yeah. project is what happens to them yeah there was a whole thing where there weren't supposed i can't even say it don't there's a huge factor now about how many silos are supposed to be released at the end of the of the project and that factor is no longer going to be controlled for by the end of the story so it could go there could be all kinds of stories that result from that so every everything by the end of the book everything is off the ranch yeah everything everything's it is open to interpretation yeah. now so so all right we're gonna shut up about the book i don't want to talk about it anymore because I, we're gonna reveal i don't want to reveal anymore reveal something we're just gonna fucking reveal something because it's got good plotting and good ideas and i kind of want to go Ooh, this is a good idea Ooh, wasn't this imaginative but yeah. all that does is that just takes the joy out of it for the rest of you. Yeah, so you got to discover it for yourself, folks. So that it, that's it, folks. That's uh, that was dust. Uh, again, highly recommended by us to read it. If you haven't read the whole series, get them all, read them all. Uh, if you're a fan of post-apocalypse and you have not read those yet, get them, read them. So it uh, it's also one of the best things I've ever read about the whole idea of a, a, a enclosed community. Yes. You know, the standard survival bunker story, the domed city of, of you know, whether it's Logan's Run or um, <laughs> uh, the, the Down Under from uh, Boy and His Dog or whatever. This really was somebody who took a lot of time to think about what are the real implications of one of these structures. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was really well done. So get out there and read it, folks. So... All right, so uh, that was Dust, and wow, we did two shows in a week. That's a uh, that's a lot for us, you know. Well, there's uh, ta-da! Apparently, uh, we're just we're moving out of those winter doldrums, and it's spring, spring has sprung. So we got to think of what next to do. Uh, like I said, we got some movies we could definitely. Uh, me and Scott again, we'll talk offline. Uh, you know, people review a movie. Um, well, we recently did a broad topic, mutants, and um, I'd have to. I'd have to do some thinking for some more broad topics because we've covered a lot of 
a lot of the broad topics. So uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll think of something. We'll probably, I'm thinking I'm leaning towards, we'll probably do a movie next because I don't have any books queued up that I finished that that would be worth reviewing. So uh, that's the problem with books. They take you time to finish, you know? So uh, movies are easy or television shows or whatever the case may be. Like, so we got a lot of good television coming out. There's a lot of movies out there uh, that are coming out or been out uh, that we could definitely uh, listen to and review. I think, I'm thinking maybe we should do train to Busan. I keep, the more I think about it, it's um, well, you know, we could tell you what, if we do train to Busan for 30 minutes or 20 minutes and we do girl with all the gifts for 20 minutes, we're probably that that's probably a, a whole show. Um, I'm not sure that there's an hour's worth of material in uh, train to Busan. Um, do a short show. So what? So what? An hour? But yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, trust me. We always say, "Oh, we're not going to talk about it that long." We always fail. So it's <laughs> so. I'm not worried about doing just a show on Train to Busan because we'll probably talk for 15, 20 minutes prior, and then talk about uh, the movie for a half hour. So, um, so that's it. That's I've decided we are going to do Train to Busan is going to be the next show. So. So it's decided, folks. Train to Busan will be our next uh, novel. Another, another train apocalypse movie, like uh, Snowpiercer. We never reviewed. Did we ever? We never reviewed Snowpiercer, did we? I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that we did. But I didn't realize that there were. I didn't realize that there was the option for um, train apocalypses. Well, um, there is. Uh, and. Isn't there a Snowpiercer TV series warming up somewhere? I think it was TNT. We talked about it on a previous podcast. Yes, it's something that's uh, maybe in in development. Oh, okay, got it. You know, uh, so you know, so yes, there are definitely uh, train apocalypses. You know, you know, for so for, so for people who like rail games like Ticket to Ride or Euro Rails, you know. Yes, you also can enjoy train apocalypses by watching Train to Busan or Snowpiercer. I, I would give any amount of money to, to to find some one of those guys who's like a model train enthusiast who built a apocalyptic train set, you know, where Not the train really. just goes through smoldering ruins with mutants and glowing craters and that. That, that would be – if I was to ever get a train set – that would, train set. that would be the train set because when I was a kid, I had a train set. I loved it. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, my mother would never let me get a piece of plywood to nail oh, yeah. my tracks down to. Yeah. Like, I always had to, like, improvise putting it up on something, a floor. I always wanted to, like, put it, like, on it. Just make it a little piece of wood, and then I could put some green on it, you know, and then I had the little nails to nail the train in just so I could set my train up permanently. You know, I love my train, you know, when I was a kid, but... Uh, <laughs> you should go find you should go find that John Oliver piece where he sent a model train set, uh, a completely gigantic and inappropriate model train set to some, to Scranton, Pennsylvania. There's this weird thing where there uh, there's this thing about they discovered that the Scranton weather people, when they do their their news, there's this outdoor train set that's running around in the background at their tiny little Scranton, Pennsylvania TV station, and apparently John Oliver's this the week this week tonight or whatever it is or last week tonight built this insane huge model train set based on Scranton and sent it to Scranton 
and weirdly Scranton accepted it and put it in like the railroad museum in Scranton with some really, uh, it's, go look that up on YouTube. It's some of the funniest crap I've ever seen. It proves Scranton has a sense of humor. That's, that's cool. So, <laughs> so if there's anybody who's a uh, listeners to the show, um, uh, one of the friends of the Opocalypse, who's a train enthusiast and has built himself a post-apocalyptic train set to run your model trains on when you're wearing your conductor hat. We want to see it. All right. Send so it. contact us. <laughs> send pictures of that. Picture that, send videos. We want we want to see it. Or if we've inspired somebody to build it, do it. Send us pictures. So <laughs> oh, I like that idea. It's really, it's really cool. So <laughs> yeah, it's starting to appeal to you. Well, man. <laughs> Maybe maybe we'll make that the next contest. You know, oh my god! Build us a post-apocalyptic train set, and you'll win a you'll win a two dollar book. You know, yeah. All you have to do is sink fifteen hundred twenty four hundred dollars into a train set, you know, and you'll get a signed copy of well, you know, signed by us. Yeah, a signed copy of somebody else's book. This seems worthwhile. It, it, it sounds like a plan to me. So, yeah, but people know, because uh, there were some people who, like, were late to the party about the contest. And we are going to have another contest at some point, folks, because I've already got the book. Uh, but I, I should have had it with me. Um, there will be another. I don't know what the contest is going to be, but we're going to do another contest um, in, the, in the near future. And the prize for that one gonna be, is going to be um, volume one of Jerry a Ahern's The Survivalist. Total War, number one. I have a, I got a copy of that at uh, at the uh, Chamberlain Book Mine, which you you and I will be visiting when you come down to Florida. So um, nice. So that's that's gonna that's gonna be the next contest. Is gonna be for a copy of Total War by Jerry Ahern, the Survivalist. So uh, we'll think of that. Next show is gonna be uh, Train to Busan. So I'm gonna need to rewatch that to get it fresh in my mind and. Uh, We'll we'll do we'll do a show probably in the next within the next two weeks. You know we'll we'll get Excellent. another show. We'll we'll keep on. Uh, we'll we'll try to keep this train going, folks. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. I know it wasn't that clever. No, I'm not that clever. So anyway, folks, that's our next show. That was dust again. Uh, highly recommended. Go get it. So we will uh, see you guys again in a week or two. We'll get another show. We're going to do train to Busan. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more interesting post-apocalyptic news for you because we got a lot out of this show because we didn't have we didn't say a lot last time. So uh, if we come across some new stuff, we'll guys let you know. And again, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, I believe under the channel somewhere there's a subscribe button. So if you're watching it and you don't subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the channel. Um, you can you know always feel free to like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Uh, but again, I always recommend to just follow us on the blog. Uh, podcast at crowd zero.com uh, real easy to find I know I had somebody uh, comment that we should be posting a link to the channel in every single video on the bottom but you know what he was a little snarky about it so um, you know I'm not gonna say you know piss off but uh, you know what the there's a link to the blog on the YouTube channel on the main page and if you just type in podcast at ground zero in Google uh, it's the first thing that comes up. So it's not hard to find it. I know this is a lazy, instant gratification society now to where I need to spoon feed you people and put it right in your face so and click it for you. How, but, how are you going to survive the apocalypse if you if we do everything for you? I know. So, you know, podcastsackgroundzero.com. It's real, real easy to find. So uh, I always recommend going to podcastsackgroundzero.com because that is, again, the main hub of everything because it connects to all the social media 
and the YouTube channel connect text everything you could just go to the right hand side where there's a subscribe to the newsletter uh, basically you just put you know put your email address in there and hit hit subscribe and every time I make a post on the blog which then goes out to every uh, so Twitter and Facebook it also sends an email to you letting you know hey here's another post by podcast at ground zero and you can see what's going on that's the easiest way or if you like uh news feeds rss feeds or something just you know there's a link to the uh, rss feed as well so it's it's just easier to follow us on the blog because that tells you when shows are coming up interesting things are posted so there you go so that being said i will shut up about that so uh i am the apocalypse nerd he is adam bomb glancy we thank you again for joining us, uh, giving us your time this week to listen to us blab on about stuff for almost two hours. So, uh, <laughs> but hey, if you didn't like it, you wouldn't listen. But uh, anyway, folks, thank you. Good night, and we will see you in the wastelands. <laughs>